I know that last Sunday, as we were going through our Bible study, I had mentioned, uh, we're, we were talking about scriptural priorities, I had mentioned that we would be uh, moving on to another subject uh, this week, but after uh, some consideration this week, we're going to continue this study for at least uh, this weekend, and uh, I have some material, uh, and you're going to hear more about that uh, in the next week or so, uh, but it is, uh, it's incredible, incredible material on healing, incredible material on healing, how to be healed, uh, and so we're going to uh, endeavor in the next two or three weeks to begin uh, what we'll promise to be probably a lengthy study, uh, but it covers all of the aspects of healing, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Uh, it tells you how to be healed. Uh, it explains uh, how God heals. It's just incredible, incredible, incredible material. I can usually take one or two pages and make a whole Sunday uh, Sunday school lesson out of one or two pages of material, and I think this has five or six hundred pages. So obviously we won't keep, <laughs> Sister Ronald's getting nervous over there, oh Lord. But, um, but hopefully uh, we're going to start that in the next several weeks as God leads and, uh, and maybe we can uh, engage the healing power of God. I still believe that God heals. And uh, in fact, I know that God heals and we have seen uh, many examples of that in just the last few weeks where God has manifested his healing power. So, uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, tell people about it. And uh, we'll give you a specific date, uh, probably uh, Wednesday night. Uh, you'll get a specific date on when we're going to start uh, this, this Bible study uh, during this Sunday school time uh, on how to be healed, when to be healed, uh, how God heals, what type of healings are available. So if there's anything uh, in your life, regardless if it is a physical, uh, mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, financial, whatever, you, whatever situation you're facing, God has and has already paid for that healing. That is one of the incredible things about the healing power of God is it's already paid for. It doesn't cost God anything to heal you. Uh, but there are things that pro prohibit us. There are things that hinder the healing power of God in our lives. And so we're going to start talking about those things in a couple weeks. Uh, like I said, we'll give you a date Wednesday night when we're going to start that. Invite your friends, invite family members, people that you know that need to be healed. I would like to see uh, the healing power of God manifested in Sunday school. Why can't people be healed in Sunday school? Why can't be people be healed uh, at Walmart and all of these things? So we're going to teach along those lines. So keep that in mind. Uh, let's get excited about that. Start inviting people out. Let people know that if they need something from God, that we're going to start that Bible study in the next couple of weeks. And we have been talking about spiritual priorities, keeping our priorities straight spiritually according to what the Bible says. And, and uh, we've been talking about where the Bible says that there are things that should be first in our lives. These are the things that we should do first. And there is a list of about nine of these. I don't know that we'll cover all of them uh, that are scriptural first. And they're, they're not more important 
on the, on the uh, scale than each other. They're all number one things that we should do. And the, the first one we talked about uh, was when Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said, Be first reconciled to thy brother. And then uh, last week we talked about uh, first, I'm sorry, the week before last we talked about first cast out the beam out of your eye. You remember that. And then last week, uh, we talked about first they gave themselves to the Lord. This week, we're going to uh, endeavor into a Bible study uh, that, uh, that I don't want anybody to misinterpret. And I'm making that disclaimer right now. Don't anybody misinterpret what I'm going to say today. We're going to read... Uh, from Matthew 23, and before we read, let me add to that disclaimer that if you have questions about what I say today, would you please talk to me or talk to Pastor about it and not go off uh, saying that Brother Merrill said something. Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 25, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make, the, uh, you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which inward appear beautiful, or which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Incredible uh, scripture reading there that Jesus is talking to uh, the Pharisees. Now I want you to understand in this scripture setting who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to church folks. He's not talking to the sinner. He's not talking to the worldly, uh, vile, disgusting, devil-possessed, devil-oppressed, sin-laden, uh, rank, guttermost sinner, and any other adjectives I can use to describe them, as we oftentimes think. But Jesus is talking to the religious church people. And he makes this very, what I would consider, a very uh, harsh and almost stunning statement. He says, woe unto you. You understand uh, that Jesus using the term woe, that is not necessarily a good thing to be spoken of about you or to you. If you read the five woes in the book of Revelation, you'll understand that when God says woe unto you, that means that there is a certain amount of, of uh, suffering, there's a certain amount of pain, there's a certain amount of discomfort that is headed your way if you don't heed what Jesus is saying. So he says unto these religious people, Woe unto you, you scribes and you Pharisees, because you look good outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You wash the cup and the platter on the outside, but inside it's filthy. And then Jesus makes this comment, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is first cleanse that which is within. And here's what I, as we traverse through this Bible study, uh, 
I don't want anybody to misunderstand. Don't ever misunderstand in this study that I'm saying to forget that which is without. Don't say, Brother Merrill said, we don't worry about the stuff outside. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. In the context of this scripture, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is he's setting up another sermon uh, and to his disciples and the multitude of people that are following him. And in this group of people, there happens to be some scribes and some Pharisees. And he, he engages them in, the con- in a conversation and he is directing these remarks to them specifically. And even though Jesus is talking to scribes and Pharisees, we can take the message that he gives them and apply it to our life in a very constructive way today. The Bible sets these priorities, and we've talked about uh, in the last several weeks the priorities the Bible sets for us. He talks about in this scripture setting, Jesus is setting a priority on the inward purity of our heart, the inward purity of our lives. And in this, we can find some very important guidelines for us. It was not, I want you to listen to me this morning. When Jesus made this comment, these very harsh comments to the scribes and Pharisees, telling them that they washed the cup and the platter on the outside but not the inside, called them whited sepulchers or painted. Whited, uh, you remember whitewashing. Some of the old timers, if Brother Alexander was here, probably would say that they've had to whitewash. It's painting. White, in other words, you look pretty outside, but inside it's dead men's rotted bones. It's, it's disgusting and it's vile. But Jesus was not addressing the office of these people. When Jesus said that, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, he was not talking about their position. He was not saying that it's bad to be a scribe or that it's bad to be a Pharisee, but he was rather talking about their conduct. He was talking about their attitude. He was talking about their lifestyle. He was talking about the way they presented themselves. It's not wrong. It's, Jesus is not saying don't be uh, a wonderful and a beautiful uh, Christian person. Don't, uh, don't get in, a, in a, a thought process that says, you know, Jesus doesn't want me to be like that. Yes, he does. But when you are uh, beautiful on the outside, you also need to be beautiful on the inside. So Jesus is focusing on the conduct and the spirit that was being manifested by the scribes and the Pharisees rather than their calling, and he called them hypocrites. He never said they taught bad things. He never said that you teach uh, these things are bad or evil. In fact, Jesus encouraged the, the, the people that were listening to him to obey the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees in this scripture setting, and and I agree, get kind of a bad rap. And he, he told the people later on, you listen to what they say. Obey what they say. They're saying the right thing. But what he did say uh, in conjunction with that is just don't do what they do. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite. That old do as I say, just don't do as I do. Nobody likes that. And that's where the Pharisees were. They had gotten into a mindset maybe of self-entitlement. Maybe they felt because of their position that nothing they did was wrong. And so Jesus is addressing them and saying that, that you are hypocrites 
that you teach one thing, but you do something else. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, where we lived uh, on Canterbury, uh, a road in, in Monticello, there was a neighbor, young guy that I went to high school with on the opposite road. And uh, this, young, this young guy, uh, his name was Donnie, and uh, Donnie was 16, 17 years old and started smoking. And I remember being at Donnie's house one day and uh, his dad had just caught him, I guess, in the backyard. You know, kids are stupid. You, you know, we think, as, or, or, and all of you probably have your own stories of, of when you were, a, a, you know, a young teen or in your teenage years, how you think you were going to pull the wool on old mom and dad's eyes. And uh, most of the time, in most circumstances, mom and dad is not near as dumb and naive as you think. Well, somehow Donnie's dad had caught Donnie outside hiding behind the air conditioner unit smoking. I guess the big plume of smoke coming from behind the air conditioner unit was the telltale sign. And I remember my brother and I and another neighborhood boy showed up at Donnie's house just as Donnie's dad was bringing Donnie into the house. And the dad let us come on in. Boys, y'all come sit down on the couch. Y'all need to hear this too. So we sat down on the couch, and, and Donnie's dad immediately began this very long and detailed uh, chewing out session and giving us all of the evils of smoking. This is what it does to you. It's a horrible, horrible habit. It's nasty. It's filthy. It's expensive. I mean, he went through the whole smorgasbord. And when he got done, he said, Do you understand it is not cool to smoke? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We understand. Anything to get this over. Good. And he lit up a cigarette. The reason Donnie's dad, and I can't remember his name, the reason his speech didn't have a lot of impact is we all knew that he smoked. It was a do as I say, just don't do as I do speech. And nobody listens to hypocrites. That was revelation right there. That's not even in the notes. That was pure derevelation. Wonder why sometimes people don't take your advice? I got to look at myself too. Nobody listens to hypocrites. I've said it a million times and I'll probably say it a million more. When Christy and I got engaged, one of her family members offered me marital advice. No, thank you. He's on his third. It don't work for you. Anyway, I don't know how I got off on all that stuff. For the things that the scribes and Pharisees had, were doing right, the things that they had perfected, the things that they were accomplishing that were right and good, Jesus never condemned them for that. He never said that your outside appearance is horrible. He never said, y'all stop dressing like that. Y'all stop doing uh, your outside appearance thing. Get off those priestly garments. He never told them that you're not worthy to wear them. He just simply said, you've got your priorities mixed up. You're more worried about how you look 
than how you are, than who you are. And so Jesus condemned them for that. He said, first, cleanse that which is within. Our outside appearance is very important to God. But our inside purity and holiness is also important to God. Don't get quiet now. Right living, what we call righteousness, it is holiness and it's also godly attitudes. It is appearance. It is all of these things. And it must stem from an eternal and internal, not eternal, an eternal and an internal experience with God. It is not about what we do. If it's not from inside, it's just an outside or an outer uh, display of our discipline. Holiness and godliness must emanate from within and be exhibited outward in our speech, our attitude, and our conduct. Somebody told me a funny, funny story last night, and uh, I'm not going to uh, to repeat all of it, but uh, it happened years ago uh, in the Baton Rouge church. There were some new converts that decided to... Uh, to do some things in the name of the church. And uh, the pastor was not real happy about it. You know, when there's, there's the fear when we sell church t-shirts that you're going to wear your church t-shirt, go to McDonald's, somebody's going to say something to you, and you're going to want to get into a fight and cuss them out and all that with your church t-shirt on. You know, it's that negative advertisement that, that, that we don't want. Uh, so our attitude and our conduct is important. Our inside is important. You can't, uh, you can't get uh, crazy with people and, and, and what they call cop an attitude and, and want to fight and cuss people out and, uh, and all of that stuff, even though you look good. And I'm not just talking about our dress. I'm not just talking about uh, our dress, but even though you appear to be a good Christian person, that needs to be manifested in more than just one way. I hope you're understanding and listening rather than going, oh Lord, here we go again. When Jesus said first cleanse that which was within, the word first here comes from a Greek word, and it is the word is proton, meaning firstly in time, First in place, order, or importance, before, at the beginning, or first of all, is what that word means. So Jesus is saying the most important thing that you can do when it comes to exhibiting your Christianity, the most important thing that, it, that, that, that you can do when you uh, exhibit your relationship with God is make sure that everything in you is okay. You know the Bible says that out of the abundance of the out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And when you hear people talk sometimes, it makes you wonder what's it like inside. 
if that is truly inside, is truly pure, if it's truly clean, if it's truly righteous, if it's truly God-like, then what will come out of our mouth? Would it be backbiting? <laughs> I've got to move on because I'll quickly seem like I'm getting negative and that's not what I want to do. But understand, Jesus first says, cleanse that which is within. The outside is important. But it does you no good, it does you no good to look good outside if your inside is right. How many people do you think you'll win to God by the way you appear? By the way you say, oh, I'm just, oh, I go to church faithfully. I'm just, you know, I have the Holy Ghost and, oh, I will pray for you, sister. And, oh, I've just got all of my little ducks in a row and my kids are the superstars in the Sunday school class, and we go to church three times a week, and I'm in the chorale, and I sing uh, a lot, and I do specials, and, and, you know, I'm also an usher, and I'm a hostess, and, and I also paint the church, and I come out and mow the grass, and I stripe the parking lot, and I pick up the garbage, and you can list out all of your resume. But then if that person says or does something and you say, oh, you're just a stupid idiot. How, do you how much good do you think your resume just did? God wants us to begin our cleansing process on the inside. Those who allow God to control the inward man will soon adhere outwardly to the Bible and its teachings. A lot of times, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Can I let you in on a secret? Does anybody want to hear a secret? I know because every person in here, you can't tell me any different. If somebody had a juicy piece of a secret, you'd be the first one on the phone to hear it. Just about everybody. I've gotten in trouble with my mother because of that. I've made comments like that to her. I get in trouble. A lot of times, here's the secret. A lot of times, in most every case, by just somebody's appearance, I can tell you their spiritual condition. Catches you off guard, doesn't it? I have run into and seen some sweet people of God at Walmart when they didn't know they were going to run into me. Some of them I had to talk to because I actually met up with them. Others I never said a word. I turn around quickly and walk away. And they never know. But it's easy to tell somebody's spiritual condition because that which is within will manifest itself on the outside. It always does. That's why God said, that's why Jesus said, if you will first cleanse that which is within you, if you'll get your heart right, if you'll get your mind right, if you'll get your motives right, if you'll get your spirit right, 
if you will get the inside of you right, it will manifest itself on the outside. There is a possibility of doing the opposite. There is a possibility of looking good on the out and, and, and being rotten inside. Jesus said that's the way the scribes and the Pharisees were. But it is very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to be, to be good and holy and righteous and pure and, and perfect on the inside and it not manifest itself on the outside. That's the, that's the impossible part. If inside is correct, and that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. If your inside is correct, your outside is going to be fine. Your conduct will be okay. Your attitude will be fine. Your mindset's okay. All of that stuff will be all right. It will manifest itself the way God says and God wants you to because your inside is correct. And if our outward appearance, if our outward conduct, and when I say appearance, it's, again, I'm not talking about just dress, but it's, it's our conduct, the way we are. If our outward uh, conduct and appearance is fine and is correct and evil has crept into our heart, we can purge it out and restore our inward purity. And that's the way God wants us to be. Both inward and outward purity must be kept in balance at the same time. He wants both of them, but the most important is your inward. And now that's, and that's why I gave that uh, disclaimer. I don't want anybody to run around here and say, well, Brother Merrill said it's not important the way we conduct, conduct ourselves, the way we dress, the way we look, the way we act, the way we think. I did not say that. But Jesus says if you'll get the inside correct, then the outside would be okay. And although we are one person, you are a one you are one person there. The Bible tells us that we're made up of three uh, main components. Uh, we are uh, our, our body, our soul, and our spirit. The Bible also says that we have two major parts of us, and that is the inward man and the outward man. And we're going to talk a little bit about the inward man to, uh, right now today. Uh, talk about that man that is on the inside of us. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that uh, we are a body, soul, and a spirit. And our body, our, our soul, and our spirit are, are closely connected. In fact, to the point that the Bible also said it's only the Word of God that can divide them asunder. It's only the Word of God that can break the bond between the soul and the spirit. And then we have the body. God is far more interested in our flesh or in our soul rather than our flesh. Now I know that seems amazing. But this revelation came to me several years ago uh, in the process of, of uh, wanting God to, to minister to something in my body. I realized that, that God is more interested not in my body as much as he is in my soul. And you understand that, that the soul is going to live forever. That is the eternal part of us. Everybody's body is going to go away. Thank God for mine going away. At some point, whether through death or the rapture, you're not taking it with you. 
So all of the thousands of dollars we spend to change them. Didn't have to say that, did I? We get things lifted and tucked and all that stuff. You ain't going to do you a bit of good. You're not taking it to heaven. You're wasting money. Anyway, I don't know how I got off on all that either. I'm sorry. But God is worried about our soul, so Jesus gives us this commandment. First, cleanse that which is in within. Somehow the Pharisees and the scribes had confused the priority that God had placed emphasis on in the Old Testament, and they thought he meant more to take care of the outside than the inside. So Jesus corrected that. He gave them a new perspective. He showed them that true cleansing originates from within, and that's where it should begin. When we are born again of the water and spirit, in God's eyes we are cleansed within, according to John 3, 1 through 8. From, the day, from that day forward, from the day you receive the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in Jesus' name, you've repented. From that day forward, we should work. It is, we should work, it should be a continual process to let the Word of God and the Spirit of God operate in our lives and cleanse us within. It should be a constant process. It never ends. We are not and will not obtain perfection in this life. Uh, that is just one of those things that we need to understand. I try to tell uh, in Bible study when we, uh, through, through the course of, of home Bible study, to tell people that. It's a process to serve God. It is a process uh, to, to make it to heaven. The Bible talks about uh, being born again, being babes in Christ. So many people give up and quit the process because they get frustrated. How many people have backslidden because they get tired of the process? They feel like God has run out of mercy. They feel like God has run out of grace. And it's simply not true. As a baby begins to develop and begins to mature, there's going to be a lot of stumbles and a lot of falls. There's going to be some things that kid can't do. You, didn't, you don't look at a two-year-old and want to know why they don't have a college degree. Give him a, a, a pile of lumber and, a two, and a, some hammer and nails and tell him, here, go make yourself a house, son. You lazy thing. All you do is sit around and eat. You want to play too much. Well, he's two. And the same thing is true in a relationship with God. We are born again and we must mature. We must allow ourselves to mature. And our inward man starts off in this infantile state. And there's a lot of mistakes. And as we grow, we still make mistakes. How many adults here today have made a mistake in the last, say, month? Did you realize with age and maturity you don't get perfect? It's crazy, ain't it? But Brother Merrill, at this time in my life, I just thought I would be perfect. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. And so it is true in our relationship with God. And I want to just interject here. God understands and God knows that humanity is frail and that it is weak and His grace and His mercy is always sufficient. It never runs out. 
never runs out. Never get tired of the process. One of the things that made David a man after God's own heart is that regardless of how many times David failed, he always was willing to go to God and repent. So in this process of cleaning the inside of us, there's going to be times where these things will come against us and sneak in and whatever it is, never get tired, always go to God, always go to God. Jesus compared our inward man to a cup and he said that the cup is sometimes clean on the outside but not on the inside. He later said that we were like white, that, that the human heart, the human mind could be like a whited sepulcher. Again, full of dead man's bone. Paul draws a parallel between the perishing outward man and the inward man, which is renewed every day. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, that is an incredible parallel. That while our outward man, the moment we're born, begins to die. You know, I heard one time, and, and I actually haven't studied it out to see if it's true. Maybe some of you know and can verify it. But when you are born, you have all the brain cells you will ever have. Does anybody know if that's true? I've heard that several times. And that you average losing a billion brain cells a day. Could say something real mean right here. I'll try, I'll, I'll avoid that. You do wonder how many sometimes people started off with. And I said I wasn't going to do it. But they said that you're, as you grow, your brain expands, but it has no more cells than it does when you are born. They are all there. And so uh, our outward man's at the uh, our outward man at the moment of birth begins a growing process, but is it also begins a dying process. It's part of life. As sure as there's life, there's also death. And and Paul is trying to emphasize to us in 2 Corinthians that more important than worrying about this life is to worry about the inward man. More important than worrying about our outward man is to worry about the inward man. I wonder if we would put as much emphasis on our inward man as we do our outward man. I could say an awful lot right there, and I'm just going to move on. Ephesians 3 says we are to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in our inward man. According to Romans 7, saints are to delight in the law of God after the inward man. God sets forth a spiritual principle regarding those who are Jews inwardly rather than outwardly, according to Romans 2. Paul is saying that you can be an inward Jew. In other words, that you become a joint heir to the promise of Abraham. How many wants to be a joint heir to the promise of Abraham? That happens when you receive the Holy Ghost. How many knows what that promise of Abraham is? Nobody? We may have to do a Bible study on the promise of Abraham. It is incredible what God promised Abraham. Do you know that there, it's important for you to know what the promise of Abraham is because you're entitled to it? 
It's a promise that God gave you. It comes to mind that just a few weeks ago, through the gifts of the Spirit, God spoke to us and said that there were promises that God made a long time ago that He wants to start fulfilling in people's lives. How long ago? I don't know, but maybe it's the promise of Abraham, this prosperity and this protection and God's blessing on, on our lives. Maybe that's the promise God wants to start engaging in our lives. It's the promise of, the, of being an internal Jew, receiving that promise uh, he isn't going away with the Jewish nation, but is establishing the Israel of God. He isn't doing away with the Jewish nation. It's not going to happen. But he's establishing in the heart of Gentiles the, the God of Israel. According to Colossians, this is also accompanied by the circumcision that's not made with hands. It's baptism in Jesus' name. According to Matthew chapter 7, our true inward identity is exposed by our fruit it still remains impossible please everybody listen up this is a negative statement I'm sorry but it is impossible to conceal forever what is inside of you it's going to come out you ever noticed, and I understand who I'm talking to today. So first, before I make this statement, can I get some latitude? Everybody okay? Have you ever noticed that it seems like sometimes as people age, they get ornery and mean and cantankerous and aggravating? Sister Cheryl is back there just nodding to beat the band. She works at a place with some 50 apartments of nothing but people over 55. And she has to manage that and deal with them every day. She knows all about Henri and me. Believe me, she knows. Why is that? It's amazing that as people begin to age, and I begin to notice it myself, you lose the ability to finesse what is truly on the inside. You just don't care anymore. Buddy, I'm going to let you have it. The reason why some of these elders are laughing is they know full good and well it's true. It is impossible forever to hide that which is within. At some point, Listen to me. You may be doing good now. You may have everybody fooled. But at some point it's going to come out what's truly on the inside of you. A couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago, I'll, I'll close with this hopefully. I had a little outpatient procedure done. And I had to be put under anesthesia. First time ever in my life. Hope it's the last time. When they say you don't remember anything, brother, let me tell you, I remember nothing. But I do know, having been around people that had these type of procedures done, that when you come out of that anesthesia, there's about a 30-minute window there where you're conscious at that moment, but you really don't remember any of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
man, I was told I talked to the doctor and I talked to this one and I said this and I was chit-chat. I remember nothing. Nothing. Heard nothing, saw nothing, know nothing. And knowing that, I was scared to death before I went back there that if there's anything on the inside of me because I've heard of people being mean, just and normally nice people, just get plain mean. I've heard of, well, anyway. I prayed, laying in that hospital bed. God, my wife and my mom were standing over there talking. They didn't even know. God, when I wake up, please. Let your spirit be what comes out. Don't let it be Merle Murphy. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. I ask sincerely and truthfully in Jesus' name. My wife recorded some of it on her phone. She told me all of it. When I became kind of conscious again, I asked her, I said, Christy, how did I act to those poor nurses, the doctor, all of those people? She said, Meryl, you were so sweet. She said, you were telling the nurses, you did such a wonderful job. You're so great. Y'all are just wonderful people. In fact, I'm going to call, I suppose, I don't remember any of this, folks. I promise you, I don't remember it. But I suppose I, I, I told them that I'm going to call and try to get you a pay raise because you did just such a great job. At some point under this anesthesia, I, I was supposed to have asked Christy already how I acted. And when she said that, Meryl, you acted so sweet, she says, this is what I did. Thank you, Jesus. You're such a wonderful God. You're such a great God. You answered my prayer. And he did. He did. And I am thankful. I said all of that to say, I'm thankful that when it came time where the possibility of the manifestation of me could come out, and I really wouldn't be able to say or control it, somehow, Thank God, His Spirit is what came out. And so when I left that day, there wasn't offended nurses and doctors. There wasn't people that were having a worse day uh, when I left than they were when I got there. And I'm thankful for that because if it, it, because it, is, a, uh, it is a given that it, at some point in your life, the true you comes out. The true you comes out. And so when that happens, when the true you decides to manifest itself, when the true you decides to come out, whatever day it is, whether it's a bad day at the office, whether uh, it's under some kind of anesthesia, when it, perhaps it's going to be when you get a little more gray hair or get a little aged or maybe you lose a little more hair, whatever it is, whenever that moment is, that trial, that sickness, that circumstance, whenever it is, that the true you comes out, what will it be like? 
Will will the true you be that judgmental, that spirit of harshness, that chew them out and spit them up, or spit them out, chew them up, whatever it is, that will that be the true you? Will the true you be that person that in their wake of in their life has more offended and hurt and, and confused people than, than were there before you started? Or will that true you will it will it exude Christ? Will it, ex, will it exude love? Will you manifest mercy and grace and compassion and a good spirit and a good attitude? And when people see the real you, will they say, I want some of that? That's what I want the real me to be like. Or will they say, huh, I don't want anything of what that person's got. First, folks, our number one priority more than anything else that we should do we must get that which within cleansed and that which is within right with God. And then we can work on the rest of it. The rest of it will take care of itself. As our church begins to grow and begins to, to, to uh, explode, we have incredible outreach things coming up. As we begin to have people come in, understand that a lot of times that which was within is cleansed first. Then let that which is without be cleansed if we can get our insides right our outside will take care of itself